I need to get this out of the way. If I don't get it off my chest, it'll distract, distract me from preaching. So this guy wins. He enters a contest. He wins a really nice bass boat. Goes home. His wife says, what are you going to do with the bass boat? Said, you don't even fish. And said, the closest lake or water to us is 100 miles away. He said, well, I, she said, we could sell that bass boat and buy something really nice. And all the women said, I gave you a chance. I was the one. <laughs> and he wasn't having it, though. He said, I, I won that bass boat. He said, I'm taking it. I'm going to do something with it. So he gets kind of obsessed with the bass boat, and he's got it out in the backyard. And uh, his brother comes over, and his brother <clears throat> asks, says, where's, uh, where's my brother at? And she said, well, he's out in the backyard in the boat casting his rod and reel. He said, his brother said, I can't believe how obsessed he is with this boat. And he can't even get it on the water. And uh, so he goes out back and hollers at his brother and says, what are you doing? Said, you're just out there. And he said, well, I'm out here practicing casting. He said, somebody ought to teach you a lesson. He said, if I could swim, I'd come out there. And... <laughs> There's always a different way of looking stuff, amen. Uh, let's stand to our feet. <clears throat> Some of you wife are nodding your head. I can see there right now. This is a psalm of David as we get ready to go into praise worship. said, the earth is the Lord's and its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. So that means everything belongs to God. Everything. The Bible says every good and perfect gift has come down from Him. So whatever you have has come from God. Say amen. amen. But for He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon waters. Who may ascend in the hill of the Lord or who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. That's where we've got to go. In these last days, we've got to be face seekers, not hand seekers. God said he'd take care of our needs. We need to seek his face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. This is your moment to let the Lord in to your situation. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him some praise. He's worthy. Hallelujah. This is a day the Lord has made. We're supposed to rejoice and be glad. I will give you something else to rejoice about. We baptized two more people this week during the week. Chad, our brother over here, and another one that's at work today, but the Lord's still doing His work. Amen. Praise God for that. We also baptized two last Sunday, so the Lord's still saving. That's the main thing, right? We need to get as many in as we can before Jesus comes back, and He's coming really soon. Tell your neighbor, say, Jesus is coming soon. And say, are you ready? <laughs> Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise. He's worthy. Amen. All right. Uh, Children's Church is staying with me today. You're going to stay with your father. And uh, the nurseries are open on the other side, though, so you may go over there. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51. And if that's your brother who had the boat, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Isaiah 51. You're going to see, the, uh, the world has gone crazy, and that's good. Oh, did I just say that? I said, the world's gone crazy, and that's a good thing. And here's why that's a good thing. It's causing us to have lines drawn in the sand. You're either in or out, right? You don't, what Joshua say, choose you this day 
whom you're going to serve. He said, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. So that's helping the lines be drawn. It's clearly all the sexual immorality that we see promoted. Pretty soon they'll have the whole alphabet in that thing. And that's where we're at. But it's a good thing because the lines are being drawn. We can see clearly where the world's headed and the church can see clearly what God's uh, standing for and so we can make our choice. So think about this in terms of our lives, about what I'm getting ready to read out of Isaiah. This is a word to Israel, but it's also a word, I believe, to this country that we're living in and maybe the entire world. But I believe God's trying to say something to us here. Remind us of those of us who are pursuing Him of how He's going to watch over us and take care of us. Let me read to you from verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 51. He says, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. When you get into Romans, Paul talks about the difference between practicing sin and practicing righteousness. Nobody in this building can be perfect, but it's how, what we choose to practice. We practice righteousness. That's what the Bible asks us to do. We don't practice sin anymore. The Bible says if we sin, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right. The difference when you read the epistles of John is he talks about those who practice sin. All right. And so here he's asking those who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole or the pit from which you were dug. Now, that's an interesting statement there because he's telling them to go back to their foundation. We know that the rock that followed them in the wilderness is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He is, he's always been, and we are cut out of that. 1 Peter chapter 2 and 5, I'm going to put that on the screen for you. 1 Peter 2 and 5, it says, You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices, acceptable God. So we're those stones, and we've been cut out. When you've been hewn out of a stone or of a quarry, it gives you identity, it gives you shape, it gives you form. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives through Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I cautioned you about two weeks ago. If you don't get your identity from God, the world will give it to you. They would love to give all of us our identity. They would love for us to be identified in worldly things and fleshly things. But we get our identity out of Christ because we've been cut out of Him, out of that stone. But he goes on to say, he says, Look, he says, Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Now, the other point the Holy Spirit's trying to make here through the prophet Isaiah is that it's okay when God calls you in your moment of weakness, in your moment of being small. What did he say to the prophet? He said, Do not despise the day of small things. He said, If you'll be faithful over a few things, he'll make you ruler over many. Right? That's God's way. Here's, here's what you cannot fall into. You cannot fall into saying, I don't have what Brother Johnson's have, so I'm kind of put out and I'm not going to step up to the plate and do my job. That's not how this works. You be faithful in a little and God will make you ruler over much. Right? That's how this works. And that's basically what he's saying about Abraham. He said when Abraham was called, he was by himself. But God's basically saying, but I started blessing him. Because he started following me. He started, and the Bible talks about Abraham has such a relationship with God that he called him friend. How would you like to be called God's friend? You can be through Jesus Christ, but do not despise the day of small things. Do not think it's useless. That's why uh, Paul tells uh, through Timothy to the young people, and I will say something to all you young people. He said, do not despise your youth. That word despise, maybe not the best word in English, but in other words, don't think it's useless to serve God when you're young because you can have an impact and you can save yourself a lot of scars through life. And all the older folks said, That's, so God wants to use you. If you go through the scripture and look at all these guys, David was a teenager when he was out there tending sheep for his father. And Daniel and his, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those four guys were teenagers when they went into captivity. But they were also strong in the Lord because they took a stand right away. Josiah was eight years old when he took the throne of God in the kingdom of God. That God wants to use you when you're young. 
but just walk with him patiently. Let that begin to unfold. Because the one thing you don't want to do, you don't want to despise the day of small things, but you don't want to get ahead of God and get an Ishmael instead of Isaac. And that's what a lot of people do. They get an Ishmael instead of Isaac. And I heard the crowd go, ooh. Don't want to get no Ishmael. All right. He said, so Abraham was small. He was by himself. God called him out. I've said this many times. He was a Gentile before he was a Jew. God separating him, giving the seal of circumcision. He was from Chaldea. And so God calls him out and he follows God. And when he gets, he gets, he's in the flesh initially, in the beginning, he runs right into famine as soon as he gets called out. So he takes his own mind and reasons out why he should go to Egypt instead of staying out where God called him, right? That's what we got to guard against. He, he decided to go to Egypt. He went down to Egypt where Walmart was out because there was a famine. They probably had a Walmart back in those days, something the equivalent of it. I've been studying Egyptian history, Egyptian history and there's a lot of stuff in there that they had going on. And so he went down there because that in his mind, right? In his mind, he thought he would be safer. But he was no safer in Egypt or no less safe in the famine because God was with him, right? If God is for us, he said he'd never leave us nor forsake us, but be with us to the end. That's the God we serve. We ought to hang on to those promises no matter what's coming our way. And so he goes down and God allows events to be orchestrated and kicks him right back out in the famine. So Abraham's kicked right back out in the famine. Why? Because God had orchestrated his path that way so that he could learn to trust him and not the things of Egypt. And that's how God's going to orchestrate our paths. He's going to take us into situations so that we learn to trust in him. And ministry's a little different. My wife and I have walked away from everything three times. So it's helped our faith. We've had to trust God and lean on Him for provision and things at different seasons in our life. That's good for our faith. But God puts all of us in situations where He can build our faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. I don't care how skilled you are. I don't care how talented we think we are. I don't care how savvy we think we are. We are not pleasing God unless we're living by faith. Somebody give the Lord praise. Amen. It's impossible. And then he goes on to say, look at this instruction that I think we need to hear as believers living in this country. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. We can have joy even though the world's going through trouble. And I saw this a couple of years ago and handed it off to you all. That when you study the book of Amos, you find out that even though the whole nation of Israel was being judged, God, there were pockets of revival going on in Israel where the people sought the Lord. Even though all of Egypt was being judged, the Bible said there was light in Goshen, and their cattle did not die where God's people was at. He protected them even though judgment was going on all around them. I don't believe our nation's turning back to God as a whole. I believe we're going to keep going the way we're going. That's, when you read the Bible, all nations are going to turn against Israel. And if we turn against Israel, and we've already started that process, used two years ago, you can find any congressman in our country that would stand against Israel. Now we have several. And we have people in our Congress in Washington, D.C. that worship false gods. You want to get on God's side? Start worshiping false gods and promoting false gods. That's the last straw for Israel. I used to think it was sexual immorality that was the last straw until I studied Isaiah extensively about 15 years ago and I realized idolatry was the last straw before God judged the nation. That's why we've survived to this point. We've been engrossed in sexual immorality for years in this country. But what the next phase is idolatry. And the reason it's idolatry is because that is a slap in God's face to worship something other than Him. And the reason the world or the cultures or the, the nations look turned to idolatry is because they get so stooped in their sin and their immorality, they have to make gods that's okay with that in order to ease their conscience because everybody has a conscience. Now, it can get seared like James talks about with a hot iron and not work properly at some point. That's why you got to stay away from the things of the world that, that lead you astray from God. But everybody's given a conscience. So that conscience works on the most cruelest of people in our country. 
until they actually become a reprobate. They still have a conscience. It may work at 10%, 20%, 30 And if you all remember, I talked about some of this with the soul, spirit, and body teaching that's up on YouTube. About three months we went through some of this. These guys have a conscience, even the most wicked people, until they become a reprobate. And I don't know what point that happens. That's God's business. But they have a conscience that's working on them. So if you've got a conscience that's saying what you're doing is wrong and evil, you can't keep practicing that, you've either got to repent or you've got to make you a God that's okay with it. And that's what a lot of folks do in this world. Been going on since the beginning of time almost. We've got to find us a God that's okay with something if we don't want to repent and turn back to God. And that's idolatry. That's the last straw. That's when Israel began to get judged and all the folks, all nations get judged for that. He said, listen to me, my people. Give ear to me, O my nation, for, the law, for law will proceed from me and I will make my justice rest as the light of the peoples. I'm going to send my word, he said. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth and my arms will judge the peoples and the coastlands will wait upon me and on my arm they will trust. Who's the arm of the Lord? That's right. See the coastlands? He's prophesying here about the Gentiles coming in. We got on these coastlands, and, and we have come in. Many have come in. He said, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look to the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. So that day's coming soon when God's going to shut all this down and bring everything to a close. Now listen to what he says. But my salvation... Woo! Now, when Moses was standing at the brink of the Red Sea... He said, stand still and see the salvation. He used the word that we translate Jesus there. He said, stand still and see the Yeshua or the salvation of the Lord. He was prophesying, though he may have known it or not, he was prophesying to us that the, the true salvation, the one that will come into your life and part your Red Sea and take you over on dry ground and deliver you from your enemy and destroy your enemy and behind you, that's Jesus Christ. Somebody give him praise. That's what we serve. That's what we look forward to. King David, the Jewish history tells us that King David, when he took off Goliath's head, came outside of Jerusalem and set it on a hill outside of Jerusalem, testifying and prophesying the very hill that Jesus Christ would come someday after that and hang on a cross. David was saying to the rest of us that, I, that on this hill, your Savior's coming and He's going to destroy your enemy and take His head off. He will put His heel on the head of the serpent and He will deliver you from from death, hell, and the grave. Somebody give him praise. There's no greater gift you and I have been given than eternal life. We have been given eternal life, and that's the greatest gift you will ever receive. Don't get frustrated. Don't back down. Don't turn away. Don't back off. Keep walking because someday you're going to get your reward. Can you say amen? But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will, be, uh, will not be abolished. He says... Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law or his word. Do not fear the reproach of men. This is a word to us. Because we live in a hostile world now, and America's getting the same way. You know, us Christians are taught that if they don't believe what we got to say, shake the dust off and move on. That's not how they work. If we don't believe what they say, they're going to cram us in a corner until we do. Well, I got news for them. This old mountain boy ain't giving up. I ain't backing down. Not one iota. I'm standing with this. I don't care who comes to that door or this parking lot. I'm standing with God's Word. Amen to that. And he says, Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. Hear that? This is a timely word for us. For the moth will eat them, like a, like a, uh, eat them up like a garment. And the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. Let me put this as plain as I can. When the Lord comes back, there ain't going to be no more Baptist churches, no Methodist churches, no Pentecostal churches. There's not going to be an LBGTQ. There's not going to be a, a government in Washington, D.C. Because the Bible says when he comes back, the government of the world will rest upon his shoulders and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's going to be what's going to be in charge. I tell you, we need to look to him. He's our way, amen. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He says, uh, the worm, he said, my salvation shall be from generation to generation. Here's a word to us. 
Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. And, and, and you, are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea? Somebody say amen. The waters of the great deep that made the depths of the sea roll for the redeemed to cross over. Woo! We're the redeemed, amen. So the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy in their heads. They shall obtain joy and the gladness, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And there's a psalm that says the children of Israel got so discouraged that they hung their harps in the willow tree and could no longer sing the, sings of the, sing the songs of the Lord. Well, I'm going to tell you what it's time for the church to do. It's time for the true body of Christ to take your harp out of that willow tree and start rejoicing and singing because the Bible says when we see all this stuff going on, to look up because our redemption is drawing nigh. We got something to sing about. You know why I can sing? Because I'm getting ready to see my groom. And I've been waiting to see my groom. And he's excited to see me. He's went to prepare a place for all of us who put our trust in him. We got something to sing about. And next time you walk outside, I don't care where you're walking. You remind yourself, I don't care if it's a, a, a track of the enemy, whatever that means. Wherever you're at, wherever your feet trod, God owns it all. He owns it all. You're his son or daughter, and you're trodden on his stuff. He says, are you the one who dried up the sea, the waters? Yes. So he ransomed, verse 11, so the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy in their heads. They shall obtain the joy and gladness, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that should be afraid of a man who will die? He's saying, don't, why are you afraid of men? Don't be afraid of men. And of the Son of Man who will be like made like grass, and you forget the Lord your Maker. Why are you more concerned about what men think than what God thinks? That's got to change. That's got to change. We got to focus on the Lord. And he says, he says, who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundation of the earth. Remember how many I tell you to look, God keeps, keeps telling us over and over in every book in this Bible of how he's the creator. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. And there is fury of the and where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exiles hastens that he may be loose, that he should not die in the pit, and that is the bre that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now I want to say this as loud as I can. I know it's crazy out there, but. You're in God's favor. He's watching over you. He's already been around the corner before you get there. He's your rear guard. We were talking about this in a setting the other day, that, talking about how there's no equipment for behind you because, one, you're supposed to be moving forward, but the Bible also teaches us that God is our rear guard. He's watching out for us. Over and over, He talks about that. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10... There's a passage here about, I want to pick up with verse 16. This is similar language that we're given in the New Testament, what Isaiah is trying to say. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, in Matthew 10 and 16. Now, he's speaking to this, his disciples, but this you'll see as this spills over, it's a word for all of us as well that will follow him. He said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about what you will speak or how, you, how or what you will speak, for it will be given you in that hour that you should speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. That's what we got to do. We got to learn to lean on the Lord and trust in the Lord. I was sharing with somebody just the other day. We we're talking about how uh, we got we need, we need to be praying. I was in, in, stressing to them how we need to pray and hear from God about things, and that's 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 been my life. We want to hear from God, but a lot of people they'll pray and, and they'll be able to say, "Yeah, I prayed." If you question them on it, but they don't wait for the answer. 
They don't want to give time to God to speak. And that's where we get these Ishmaels instead of Isaacs. <clears throat> so when I, I may have, some of you may have heard this word, but when I was in Amarillo getting ready to uh, hear about having to have surgery, I had the whole group of surgeons around me before I was de- uh, assigned one. And I was laying in this bed and, and they were telling me everything that, they, that was wrong and what they wanted to do or needed to do. <clears throat> and uh, they're going over that. And I raised my hands up like this and I said, now listen, I know who's in charge. I said, whether I live six more days or six years, I know who's in charge. I said, what I want to do is I want you to give me a little time to pray and hear from God so I can get some direction from you. And of all the surgeons that were standing around me, one of them started smiling, and they knew what I was talking about. And that's the surgeon that I got assigned to. Thank God for that. See, he's already been around the corner before we get there. So God's in charge, but if we don't wait on him, don't just say, well, I prayed about it. We'll pray about it and wait for God to return the answer, right? Let him, uh, let him get on the other end of the phone and talk to you. And so he says, but when they deliver you up, don't worry about this, for it is not giving you, uh, for it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father. Now, brother, now listen to what's going to happen. Listen to how Jesus talks here. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all, my, by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. The word sozo there. When they persecute you in the city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So that's a word to these disciples of what they're getting ready to go through. And we've had other people face these same kinds. Stephen faces some of that over in Nigeria. But let's listen closely as he kind of, this whole turn turns toward us. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub or Lord of Stench, Lord of the Flies, basically they called Jesus the devil and attributed the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. How much more will they call those of you his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. In other words, God's got you covered, right? He'll take care of it. No matter what they're plotting, it'll get foiled. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. So I'll ask you a question. When's the last time you witnessed to somebody who's lost? You have to raise your hand. Just think about it. When's the last time you witnessed to someone who was lost? It's easy to get out and talk about Jesus with people that are like-minded. But the reason, a lot of times the reason we don't get persecuted is because we're not doing the job we're supposed to do. And so these boys, they went through it. So whatever you hear in here, take it out there. Whatever you get out of your Bible, hand it off. Do not fear those who kill the body. Same kind of language we read in Isaiah. But cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who's able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. In other words, the fear that we should have, and I, I explained this Wednesday night when we talked about Job. Fear's basis, and it's, it's, we took it, we go to extremes with fear. you got some people water it down so much, it don't mean anything in certain churches and certain theology. And some people got it so far over here that it makes everybody afraid of God. There's a balance to that, and it comes from, if you were here Wednesday night or watched this, this video, it comes from understanding our position versus His. That's where it comes from. That's where true fear of God comes from. I didn't fear to go ask my dad for $5, but I feared getting outside of his boundaries and the consequences that would come if I did that. And so when we see this, when we see this fear, it's fear that springs from the recognition of our own weakness and our position versus God. That's how fear, the true fear of God, should be displayed in our lives. And then he says, uh, he says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before... Let me, I, I, I skipped a part. He says, uh, Are not two sparrows sold for copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? In other words, the Lord, if a sparrow is life is over, God's involved in that. You think about that for a minute. You hear how that reads? Uh, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your 
Father's will. And he didn't just say, he didn't say apart from God seeing it. We know God sees everything. But he said it's apart from God's will. In other words, that sparrow, it was time for its life to be over. In other words, God's in control of everything. That ought to make us all go, oh man, what a relief to know that God's in charge of everything. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And the way that reads in the Greek, it means God knows which one's number one, two, three, four, five. Not just how many's up there, but He's got them all designated. Now, that's easier for God with some people than others. I understand that. But God's got them all numbered, right? Think how detailed He is in your life. Why wouldn't you wait and get an answer? When you pray, don't just pray so you can say you prayed. Pray so you can get some answers. Seek and you'll find, knock and it shall be open. That's the, why wouldn't you want to answer from the one who knows everything about everything? He knows what the stock market's going to do next week. He knows when Putin's going to go to the restroom. He knows where those military bases that China's been making off into the water under the sea. He knows where every single one of them's at. Why wouldn't you want to answer for somebody that knows everything about everything? He says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. Therefore, you are of more value than sparrows. Thank goodness. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not Now listen to this closely. Because we're going to experience this as we race toward the end of time. Do not think that I come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's in red, by the way. Jesus actually said this while he was here on earth. Now, there's peace coming. When you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, do you understand what you're doing? That's not going to happen tomorrow. You're actually praying for the Lord to return. When you pray, he asked us to pray for that, right? He said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But it's the same kind of language that we're talking about over there in the end of Revelation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. When you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you're praying for the will of God to be accomplished and finished. Because when his will is accomplished and finished with this world, the peace of Jerusalem will come back and also the peace of the whole world. The lamb will lay down with the lion. So we're actually praying prophetically when we pray like that. And so he says, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. For some people who just see the world, the Jesus that the world talks about, not the one that the Scripture talks about, that would be a shocking verse for them to read that if they don't read their Bibles. He said, do not think that I come to bring peace on earth. I didn't, and he emphasizes this, right? I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Didn't need much work on that, did he? That happens pretty... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm teasing. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Right? Now, in other words, the gospel will divide us because not everybody will receive it. And unlike the movements that are going in our world today that are promoting false gods with a little g. And let me just say to you, these movements that are trying to make men, women, and all this other crazy stuff, those are spirits behind that. Demonic spirits. We call them little gods with a little g. And so there's a spiritual battle. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against things we cannot see. So that's going on. Why would that be? Because when the gospel comes, and that's why I said, I started this message, the world's gone crazy and it's a good thing. Because now we see clearly the distinction between God and the world. Between God and Satan. And it's causing people to draw lines and say, hey, I can't run with that. That's, that's against God's word. And now people are starting to see the reality. It's going to be clear. Why would God do that? Because God said it's not His will that any would perish. But that, And I want all of us to... Pick up that burden we've had for the light. We can all get lax on it. Let's re-pick re up and get that burden back on our donkey for the lost. We've seen a lot of lost people get saved, but we need to see more. Amen. Amen. And he says, in other words, Jesus causes division. 
that not, he didn't come just to make two people against each other, but he knew that if this one received the gospel and this one didn't, he knew what kind of division that would cause, right? And nowhere is that more clearly seen than with the Jews themselves. They had all kinds of division and tension. That's why the whole the book of Hebrews was written. Because of the division. Because you had Jews that were still under the law, wouldn't turn loose of it. Then you had these over here that believed Jesus was the Messiah and was, had walked away from the law and the concept of offerings and sacrifices, not from doing God's will. And then you had those stuck in the middle, being pulled both ways, that were trying to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and trying to still do the law or the sacrificing under the law. What a, what, and that was division. It was division because, and I, I shared this, so let me share this again so you can understand this is real in our day to, as well. When I was sitting with a couple of Jews in Cincinnati two years ago, or two and a half now, however long it's been, and we were, I was listening to their stories and they were listening to me because they invited me up because they knew how much I loved Israel and how much we support Israel with Basilea and then the, the local church as well. And so they, they were encouraged by that. When I got there, one of, we were in a big discussion. One of them said to me, he said, uh, don't you understand that we've heard all of our lives and all of our ancestry that Moses said and Moses this, and then a guy comes along and says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, some guy comes in and telling us that he's trumping Moses and said, he said, do you understand how hard that is for us to grasp because we've been taught our whole lives that Moses gave us the ways of God? Now, if you think about that for a minute, you can have compassion on it, right? Because that, that was a real struggle. And so Jesus causes division because he comes and teaches it's about the heart not about the outwards there. And that caused division because these guys had a system set up in place. And so when he got through, I said to him, I said, have you ever considered Joseph and how big of a picture he was of Jesus? How they both had special coats. They both were betrayed by their brothers. They both were between two guys. And I went through the whole spiel. Both were sold for silver. I went through all that. And finally, he looked at me and he said, I never have. And he got up and put his hat on and walked out the door. But the seed was planted. I knew he was thinking about what I said. Who is, what are you talking about? But do you understand that, that, that there is a division that happens when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus? I'm sure some of you have heard this stuff. Why do you go to church? What's the big deal? Why do you tithe? Why would you give God 10% of your income? I mean, you've heard those kind of things. Hey, I've had people in my extended family that don't even believe preachers ought to be paid. Think about that. Somebody get me some groceries or something. <laughs> but you understand the mentality, right? You got people, and we, listen, we all have people in our family who are lost, right? And, and it causes, we cannot have the same level of fellowship as we can. And I, I, I don't mean it. And thank God we've all got family that are saved too because there's a double, double power there. But the blood ties are deeper than natural ties. In other words, spiritual, I should have said spiritual. I was thinking of the blood of Jesus. Spiritual ties can go deeper than natural ties because there's a higher level of fellowship that can take place once you're a believer. That can't happen all the time down here. So, so that, it causes division. He, he made it plain to us. And then he says, he says something very similar, right? He says, uh, I've come to set a man against his father and, uh, and mother-in-law and all that. And his man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, it's one thing to work for God. It's another thing to surrender. You will never go as deep and far in God... I don't care how skilled or gifted you are at something, unless you surrender. You remember what I told you? When I asked the Lord, because we've, I've had a lot of guys my age in the last couple of years pass away with similar events that I have. One a friend, that I've been on mission trips 
passed away in this community, fell off of a bicycle in one of the local fitness clubs and didn't get up. Looked, he looked a lot better than I did as far as being in shape and everything. So I asked the Lord, I said, why, why did you get me up? And the Lord said, I want your entire devotion. I got you up so you would give me your entire devotion. And I started thinking about that. How deep do you have to go to be fully surrendered? I don't think God wants me to work more. That's not what he's saying. I think he wants me to be available more to him. What does it take? How will you function going forward when you run into people that are adamantly opposed against you standing with the Lord? It's not going to be easy. It's not easy in the school system. It's not easy at work. It's not easy anywhere. And, and we have people that are deflecting and trying to stand against us constantly. How are you going to handle that? First John, then I'll close. First John chapter 5, just a few verses here before I close. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Verse 1 of 1 John 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him, who, begot, who also loves Him, who is begotten of Him. But this we know, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So the true uh, test of your, our Christianity is whether we obey or not. Uh, faith without works is what? And he's talking about obedience there. He's not talking about something you and I conjure up. He says, uh, he says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You've got to hang on to that. Now, I want to give you a couple of words here on the screen before I quit. He used the word believe, and that's the word pisteo. It is a verb. Verbs show action. Again, once again, that's what was used here by John. The other word that I was over there singing when we were in worship, this we have the victory, right? And this we have, he is our victory. There's a name for Nike. I was singing Nike. Because Nike is the word that we translate victory. Right? I've told you this many times, but... The reason Nike, the shoe company, took that word from Greek, the word Nike, is because they're trying to advertise to you that if you wear their shoe, you'll get the what? You'll get the victory. That's the subliminal advertising behind their shoe company. Now, no, I want to show you something here. Look what he says. We know uh, whoever believes, pisteos, that Jesus is the Christ of everyone who loves him, Begotten him who loves his begotten of him. By this we know that we love, we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. This verb is used there because he's leading up to obedience. So true faith has action with it, right? True faith has action. This word, pisteo, undergirds all believing and faithing in the New Testament. For this we love God and we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory even our, that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith is pisteo. Now, pisteo, let me give you some definitions of the power of it. It means to trust, to rely on, to adhere to. Now, think about that. It's an action where I'm leaning in. That's why hasa and batak in the Old Testament are Hebrew words that mean do the same thing pisteo does in the New Testament. One means to run to the shelter. It's a verb. The other means to lean, that's a verb, on the staff. So here's what happens. When we adhere to God, we're moving, we're leaning, we're trusting on Him. But there's activity in that, right? You came here this morning to honor God, to sit under His Word, to praise Him, to worship Him. That's why you came. Why? Because you place value on God, right? 
We place value on God. And we get this, our word worship, from worth-ship, right? That's where we get the word worship. We ship God worth. Why do we ship God worth? Why are you here this morning? Because you place value on God. I'm leading up to finishing up here. You place value, or else you wouldn't have been here. Nobody makes anybody go to church, right? So you chose to come here. Those of you that are watching around the world that are seeing us right now, those of you that will get this podcast sometime this week, you choose to interact with God's Word and with what He's doing here. Why? Because you place value on God. So when you place value on God, you ship Him worth. Now, worship, if you read through the Scripture, worship is honoring God's Word, it's singing, it's giving, all those things are worship. So when... Abraham's revelation of God grew along his journey. The deeper his revelation, the deeper his worship became. Because he started seeing God. And that's what's supposed to happen in our lives, right? The more we see of God, the more we value Him. So I go back to Matthew. What did he say? You can't love anybody more than me and be my disciple. So the highest, you don't just place value on God. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you place the highest value on Him. There's, in other words, there's nothing more important in our lives than God. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's where we're going to have to live in these last days. We've got to live right there. I'll close you with this thought. Uh, Matthew 14, 31. They'll show that on the screen there. Matthew 14, 31. On this passage, everybody remembers this passage about Peter there. And immediately, Peter's trying to walk on the water. Remember that? Jesus coming on the water. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him. Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, man, at least you got out of the boat. And from my perspective, I'm saying that. At least he got out of the boat. But he said, oh, of you, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I'm going to explain that to you. Some of you heard me do this. It's been a while. That... Why did you doubt would be better said this way in the Greek. Why did you double think? I think how many times we, we do that. We go to a place of prayer. God gets up, or we get up, got something from God, and go out and see different circumstances than what He told us, and we start double thinking. Right? Right? like the guy who prayed for the mountain removed and got up and threw the shade up at the window and said, just like I thought, it's still there. <laughs> Double thinking, right? He, that's basically what Jesus said. Why did you rethink what was already happening, right? You were doing fine. Why did he rethink it, you all? Because he looked around and saw the waves. I can't promise any of us in this building because of the day we're living in that you're not going to see some waves. You're going to see some waves. Cheer up, saints. It's going to get worse. You're going to see some waves. But He promised us He would never leave us nor forsake us and He'd be with us to the end of the age. I'll leave you with this story as you guys come to the instrument. I've told this before too, but forgive me. It's all I know. I'm getting old. True story of a preacher that's in my, that was in our, my circle. He's from Latin America. They had a hur- or hurricane, had an earthquake in Mexico. Several schools were in it. They were in session. And this preacher that's in our group had a son in that school, in the middle school. He was 10 years old, I believe, if I remember correctly. Parents, after the earthquake was over, because they had so much devastation... Parents were there trying to find their children, the rescue service, everybody, all hands on deck. This father, who's in our circle of ministers in my organization, went to look for his son. And he's digging through the rubble along with other parents. And he knew where the school was at. He knew about which classroom his son was in. On and on and on and on. Finally, he's digging and digging. I forget how many days or maybe a day or two, he keeps calling his son's name. 
And he finally hears a response. Can you imagine what that feels like? And his son speaks back to him. And his son, they start conversing. And he's going after his son. And when he gets close to getting his son, his son says, Dad, go get those other children before you get me. He said, because I know you won't leave me here. <laughs> That's the God we serve right there. Go get those other children. Because I, what David say? He said, if I take the wings of the morning fly, if, I make, if I'm in the depths of the sea, if I make my bed in the grave, you'll be right there with me. That's a New, uh, New Testament revelation in the Old Testament. Let's stand to our feet. If you're watching us today around the globe, we appreciate you and we're thankful for your participation. But if you're watching or you're in this building and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today's your day. Today's your day. So we're asking you just to consider stepping out by faith and giving your life to Jesus. If you're here for any other need, if you want to draw closer to the Lord, have more of the Holy Spirit. If you have a physical need, if you're health, you need prayer, whatever your need is, this altar is open to you. We use our altar here. It's available to you. Father, we thank you for this moment. There'll never be another moment on June the 18th, 2023. This moment will never come again. We, none of us know what tomorrow holds for any of us, Lord. And I've been a recipient of things like that just in the last eight months. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. Hallelujah. And today's the day of salvation, you said. If you hear His voice, do not harden your heart like they did in the wilderness. So Lord, I pray, whatever the needs are under the sound of my voice, that I know you're able to do far above what we can even think or ask. So as we spend this moment worshiping you, do your work among us in Jesus' name. This altar is open. Will you come?